Hello and welcome to the Speaking For Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison and I am your host each and every week. We seek each week to encourage you on this journey that we call the Christian life because we know that it is a marathon and not a sprint. So I'm really excited that you're here. If this is your first time visiting or even if you are a returner who has never done so, Make sure that you give us some feedback with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. That really does help us in a couple of ways. Number one, when you leave feedback, it increases the visibility of this podcast. And number two, it just helps me to know what type of content you're interested in. I do a lot of things here on the Speaking Room podcast, movie reviews and TV show reviews and book reviews and interviews with inspiring people who have great testimonies for the Lord Jesus, and also Bible study series. So if there's something that you would like to have discussed or brought up as a topic for this show, please do not hesitate to reach out and let me know. With that being said, let's get into what is going on. Well, the first thing I want to say in this What is Going On segment is we just have a few short weeks until the Speaking For Him Culture Watch podcast debuts. Now, Speaking For Him Culture Watch is going to allow me to take the news commentary portion of the Speaking For Him podcast and give it its own podcast in the Speaking For Him podcast network. So I just wanted to let you know that that is happening And that, I think, will allow a couple different things. Number one, for those who do not appreciate my current events and news commentary, you will be able to listen to the podcast without hearing it. And for those that do, you will be able to listen to it as a separate podcast of my ministry because I still do believe that it's important to make sure that people are thinking about the news and current events in a biblical context and in a way that honors God because we are in our culture, even though we are not of our culture, we are required to respond to the things that happen around us. They do not happen in a vacuum. They do not happen in a bubble. They affect everyone. And so I think it's good to have a rounded worldview on those things. So look for Speaking for Him Culture Watch on this same podcast stream the first week of June. That being said, today I want to start out with a story about a girl who is finishing her college semester in a very frustrating way. I got a zero on a project proposal in my class because I used the term biological women, which is apparently not allowed anymore. She even said it was a good project proposal, um, but I got a zero because I use this term that's exclusionary and not allowed anymore, so. And I 100% know that this is like the most biased grade ever because my project is about transgenders competing in biological women's sports. How am I supposed to do my final project if I can't use the word biological women, but that's what my project is about? So first of all, I wish I could tell you the city or the college that this took place at. I do not have that information. But I was very sad for this student. I can't say that I was shocked because the world we live in, this is becoming the norm. 
But I want to make a couple points here. First of all, even if you are for alternative lifestyles of every stripe, you should be against this. Because when you eliminate actual terms of scientific realities, you eliminate all discussion. You see, the left's definition of having a a safe discussion is to not have a discussion at all. So that every dissenting opinion gets labeled bigoted and wrong and gets eliminated because they think that by eliminating these discussions, they go away. But they don't. And they need to be had. And we need to be able to have positive disagreements with one another. That is what makes a good society, when people are able to debate topics and to respectfully disagree with one another. That's my first point. My second point is that it is utter insanity for anyone to think that a trans woman or a man who is passing himself off as a biological female is equivalent to a biological woman who God divinely created as a female with the ability to do things that men can only dream about doing. A woman can not only have a child created within her womb, but she is able to feed that child with her own body through the creativity of God who knew that babies would need a natural life source in their mother's milk. Now, I know there's exceptions to this. I know some women can't have children. I know some women who have children can't feed their children. But that does not take away from the norms of society which says God created women to bear children and to feed those children. And those are biological constructs of Almighty Creator God that He made for a purpose. And we must, as believers, be faithful to that and not kowtow to societal thoughts about these things. I've heard this analogy brought up on multiple occasions, and I think it's a good one. If you had a friend that was anorexic, you would not participate with them in a diet because they needed to feel thinner or they needed to reach another weight loss goal. No, you would encourage them to get the help that they need so that they can normalize eating and being healthy. And that is what we need to do when dealing with these issues. God said, I made them male and female, and I made them that way for a purpose. The next thing I want to address is boycotts. Now, Ellie Beth Stuckey was on her podcast a few days ago um, talking about her reason to boycott Target a year ago. And now Target has given us even a bigger reason to boycott them. I'll talk about that. But first, I want you to listen to this clip from Relatable, the podcast by Ellie Beth Stuckey, talking about her Target boycott. I had to boycott because there are a few things I think 
less worthy of celebration than telling someone that they are the opposite sex, that they can be the opposite sex. It is so insanely satanic. It was just too much for me. Now, when it comes to boycotts, I like I don't judge people who still shop at Target. Okay, because I have friends who believe the same things I do. They still shop at Target because I still shop at some places that I know don't align with my values. I do. And and so I like I'm not puritanical on this. I think people have to pick their battles. I think it's awesome if you boycott all companies that don't align with your values. I don't do that. I pick and choose. There are some companies that I um that I have chosen not to shop at. There's a a list and Target is on that list because they are affirming something that I just think is too dark and too grotesque. And I just can't be a part of it. And I think a a lot of it also was that I was spending a lot of money at Target. So it's one thing if you shop somewhere every now and then. But I was, you know, Target is like, it's it's, it's like an activity for a lot of moms. You go in there, you think you're only going to pick up one thing, and then it turns into this whole like afternoon activity that you spend way too much money on. And the stuff that you get there, by the way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like Chip and JoJo. I do. And their stuff is probably like the most enticing stuff in there. But you're spending so much money on stuff that doesn't It doesn't last. It doesn't last like the other things do, especially the clothes that you get there. I mean, they're cute. You get them. They're easy. They're, you know, fairly priced and all of that. But I mean, they're not great clothes. So it wasn't worth it for me. The equation didn't work out. I was wasting time. I was wasting money there. And I was spending time and money on an entity that is fighting against all of the things I believe in and fighting for all the things I don't believe in. So it's been a year. I have not shopped once at Target. There have been times when I'm like, oh, I really need to run in. I just need to get a gift. I need to get some flowers. I need to get some diapers. There's been some times where I've been basically like in the middle of nowhere or I've been in a different city where I want to door dash something and Target seems like the only place and I have it. So thank God I have stayed strong in this boycott and I'm not saying that, oh, now Target is, you know, I've just crashed all their sales and now they're going to change their mind. Obviously, that's not what has happened because now they're doubling down on all of this. But really, it's just for me. Um, it's just an individual choice that I made. And I'm very, I'm very glad that I did. And I'll encourage you to as well. I mean, again, you have to pick and choose your battles and decide what you want to do. But I do encourage you to and to think about just the implications of all of this. So I thought that clip had some interesting things to say regarding boycotts and the boycotts that have happened of late or have been called for of late have been interesting to me. First of all, the Bud Light boycott was interesting to me because I did not realize that so many conservatives enjoyed Bud Light. When I was growing up, I had this thought that Christians didn't drink beer And I was raised in a family that didn't drink. And so drinking was never even something that I thought about as an activity that a Christian should do. That being said, I have found that there are a number of people who call themselves Christians who do drink. And I'm not talking about that particular topic on this episode, only to say that I was surprised how much of a nosedive Bud Light took, I think, five or six straight weeks of losing money because of their choice to partner with 
Dylan Mulvaney, who is a trans activist. And now here with a Target boycott, and if you want more information on the reasons to boycott Target, you can listen to Ellie Beth Stuckey's podcast from May 15th to find out more details. But to put it in family-friendly terms, they have put out a line of women's swimsuit for men who identify as women. And so a lot of people that were even supporting Target up until this point are now saying, let's boycott Target because they are encouraging lifestyles that are wicked against God, against nature, and they are trying to influence our children in that way. And so I think it's really good that people are waking up to that And I do think that these boycotts speak to their bottom lines. And just to say a word about this versus secular cancel culture, secular cancel culture tends to say, if you do something I don't like, you should be canceled forever and there's nothing you can do to redeem yourself. The Christian's mindset or the conservative mindset when you are thinking about canceling a business, as it were, is to persuade them with your dollars that if they abandon their woke agenda, you will be glad to come back and be a customer of theirs again. And there have been some successes on that front. I know that Home Depot was one of these stores that had some anti-Christian activism going on and people voiced their disapproval by not going and they changed their minds. So the goal of a Christian when they boycott is to get people to consider what they are doing and to possibly change their minds and be more affirming to the family. I would like to say another word on boycotts in general and that is I kind of agree with Ellie Beth that boycotts can be good, uh, but they're not always possible across the board. For instance, if you're going to boycott a computer company because they are liberal, that is not necessarily bad. But both of the major computer manufacturers are known as those with liberal beliefs. Apple has made their stands on a liberal agenda clear, and so has Microsoft. So if you are going to use a computer or a cell phone, it can be very difficult to find one that is manufactured by someone without an agenda. That being said, if you are able to boycott somewhere and make your voice known in that way, I think it can be a very beneficial endeavor. So... I don't know what your thoughts are on Target, but my hope is that you will consider the things that your pocketbook goes to support. Now it is my privilege to share with you my review of Season 3, Episode 3 of The Chosen, Physician, Heal Thyself. This is another action-packed, interesting episode of the series. And 
Dallas Jenkins often employs flashbacks to get us into the flow and the action of the show. Now, this episode is about Jesus coming to his hometown. If you remember in the scriptures, when Jesus visited the synagogue and read from Isaiah, people got upset with him because he said that he fulfilled the words of that prophecy. And one of the things he says is a prophet is not without honor, uh, except in his hometown that he knew he was going to be rejected by those in his hometown. And he was ready and prepared to suffer that ultimately for you and for me. So what a blessing that is when we look at the eternal perspective, before we get into the crux of our review today, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And this quote of the day comes from my Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. And it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, they shall rise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations." And focusing specifically on the first two verses of that passage, this is what Jesus read in the synagogue. And when he read it, he said in the scriptures, today this is fulfilled in your ears. So essentially he was claiming to be God. For people that claim that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, he very clearly did several times. And this is one of those times, because if he was not claiming to be the Son of God here, the religious leader standing in the synagogue would not uh, be dragging him away to be stoned. Yet that is what we find in this particular passage. So to get into our review, my general thoughts on this episode are that it was very well done, I liked the flashback to Jesus as a little boy. I think that The Chosen is always about what Jesus is going through, but one thing that Dallas made clear early on in producing this series was that it, it was also largely about the reaction of those around Jesus and what they were going through. And so I really think that a central theme of this episode is how Mary, his mother, is processing what is going on. And so we see a flashback to Jesus as a baby. We see Mary doing all the things that a mother does for a baby and just enjoying her son uh, as a human child. Even though she knew uh, that he was divine, she was enjoying being a mother to a human child. And then we flash forward to Jesus coming to Nazareth, his hometown for a new year celebration. 
and we see his friends greeting him and being glad that he is there. And previous to that, we saw him arrive at his mother's house and eat with her and then ask about a bridle uh, that his father had handed down to him that had been handed down for 40 generations to the man of the house. And so Joseph was passing it down to his son. And this is largely a literary device, but the way that they put put it forth was that the bridle originally uh, was owned by someone of the tribe of Judah when they left Egypt to go to the promised land. And then it was passed down to Joseph, who was passing it down to Jesus. And Joseph even says, you probably won't have any children of your own, so it may end with you, but I could not pass on from this life without giving it to you. And there's kind of a tie-in later in the episode where Jesus implies that it will be used for the cult upon which he will ride into Jerusalem on. Again, this is not in the scriptures, but I thought it was a very interesting perspective. So I appreciated that. And Jesus asking his mother where it was when he visited her kind of showed, hey, I'm not coming back here. I want to make sure I grab that before I go. And we know that according to the timeline of the series, we have at least three seasons before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. But there was a bit of foreshadowing there, talking about how he was continuing to soldier on toward the thing that God called him to do. And Mary was struggling with the reality of it. Remember, she was told by Simeon when he was a baby that a sword would pierce her own soul. And I think that ultimately happened at the cross, but it had to happen in little ways throughout her life as a mom, having to let go of him and not being able to uh, have the same mother-son relationship that she used to have. So we show Jesus the next day after he has talked to his mom and procured the bridal. We see Jesus uh, going into town and talking to several of his longtime friends, including Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who we know will come into play later in the story. Uh, We see Lazarus as one who is a catalyst to get Jesus the right and opportunity to speak in the synagogue, where he then reads the passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And then he claims to be the one to whom it is referring. And some people have been very critical of Jesus' line, I am the law of Moses in this episode. And I played a clip from Dallas Jenkins explaining why he chose to do that several months ago. So I'm not going to replay that clip, but I'm just going to remind you of what he said. He said that he had never read the Book of Mormon until after he wrote this episode, so he was not making any allusions to that. Instead, he was painting a picture and reminding people through these words that Jesus wrote the Law of Moses, and he had fulfilled every jot and tittle 
of the law of Moses. And that's what he was saying. He compared it to if someone says, stop harassing me, I'm going to call the police. And then the police officer says, I am the police. It was that kind of statement. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were so eager to nail him for disobeying the law of Moses that they didn't even stop to consider the fact that he may just know more of the law of Moses than they did. And in fact, it was true because he wrote it. And that was the significance of that statement. And so then we see Jesus brought to the edge of the mountain and this happened. Jesus bar Joseph. Because you have repeatedly prophesied falsely and have offered no denial or renouncement of your blasphemous claims, there is no need to escalate this to the authorities. Do you stand by all that you said? I think I was pretty clear. Your father, may he rest in peace, was a righteous man. Your mother is a good woman. We take no pleasure in the shame you are bringing to their name, nor the grief this will bring upon Mary. But as from the law of Moses, whose life and words you have spat upon today, your sentence is death. point out a couple things here. First of all, it's very interesting the decision that Dallas made on how to interpret this scene. When I was reading this scene throughout my life, I often thought of it as because Jesus was divine, because he had all power, but he was holding it in control, that when it says that he passed through the crowd and went on his way, that a good possibility was that he made himself invisible. In this particular interpretation, instead, it's kind of projected that he did very similar to what happened when the religious leaders at another time went to arrest him and they came back empty-handed and someone said, well, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, because no one spoke like this man. And so that's kind of the vibe you get from this clip that we just heard was that he spoke with such authority that they didn't dare grab him and stone him, even though 
they had found him guilty in their own minds of blasphemy. So he passes on and goes his own way, ultimately because his time had not yet come. Over and over in the Gospels, we read that phrase, his time had not yet come. Nothing happened to Jesus until the time had come. And when the time did come, he laid down his life for us. How do we know that? Because in the garden, when they tried to take him at first, he said the words, I am, when they asked for Jesus of Nazareth, and they fell backwards. They fell backwards. They didn't have power in and of themselves to bring him in. He had to yield to them and allow himself to be brought in. And the reality is that that is the truth of John chapter 10 where he says, no man takes my life. I lay it down. I have both power to lay it down and to take it up again. This is the God that we serve. I also want to say a word about how Joseph and Mary are both portrayed in this series. I'm so thankful for the way that they are portrayed. First of all, in Mary, you see a mom who is grieving because of the changes that are going on with her son. And I don't care how dedicated you are to the Lord, if your child is struggling, even if you know that it's God's plan, you are going to grieve. And you can see Mary grieving. She's starting to realize the full significance that Jesus isn't coming back to Nazareth that he is going to give the ultimate sacrifice one day. I don't think she fully comprehended it, but you can totally see that process starting in her mind, the wheels turning. But you can also see the love and respect that he has for his mother, which he no doubt displayed on the cross when he said, Woman, behold thy son, and to John, behold thy mother. The other thing that I want to mention that is so clear here is the love that Joseph had as a stepfather is portrayed so perfectly. He acknowledges to Jesus, I'm not your birth father. But the fact that I was entrusted with your care and to bring you up is a great privilege that I have had. So I really appreciated that. And of course, his adoptive father was the one that gave him the bridle. And even though he is the son of God, with a father who is from heaven, he still is grieving the loss of his earthly father and wishing that he could talk to him during this time of great strife. I think that's very human and very plausible that he would have had those thoughts. And he's standing at his father's grave after everything happens on the mountainside and just thinking about the future. And then his mom and Lazarus come up and it is explained this had to happen. And you can see the grief on Mary's face, but also the understanding that she knows that her son was right, that this had to happen for the glory and honor of God. And we see that um, Lazarus asks about the bridal, and Jesus says, you will soon find out. And then Mary says soon, and then Jesus says soon, and that's the end of the episode. So there's a lot here, 
and probably a lot that will be flushed out in future episodes. As I said, we got to look at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know that Jesus will one day raise Lazarus from the dead, and of course the reaction of the leaders in that town will not be one of gratitude that Lazarus is alive. And of course the reaction of the leaders will not be one that Lazarus is alive and that is a great thing. Instead it will be one that says, let us kill Lazarus because it is bad for us that Lazarus has been risen from the dead by Jesus. And so I think there is a lot still to come um, out of this story, and I think that's one reason why Dallas chose to go the series route in putting together The Chosen, because he wanted to flush out these ideas. So overall, I thought it was a very good episode. I would give it a four out of five stars, and I hope that you have enjoyed this review and that you will share it with your family and friends. And I think above all, my hope is that you will realize that God is in control of your life as well, that he doesn't allow anything to happen to you uh, until it is his will for it to happen. Everything that Jesus did was done to do the Father's will. And he says to us, I have stuff that I want you to do. You are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he before ordained that we should walk in them so we can trust him with our lives. That's about all I have to share with you today, but I hope that you have a wonderful week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 